Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. Today, for historical context, is the 27th of August of 2021. Just finished, or hopefully in the downtrend of the third wave, the Delta wave, and this podcast is basically my conversation with families of patients who are mechanical ventilation suffering from COVID-19 and the expectations that I try to set with, um, with just what's going on. Number 11, because this, this is 15 points altogether. Uh, two other podcasts came before this with one through five and five through 10. So then therefore, this is number 11. And here I tell families that I will try my best to call them every single day. But if things are crazy and that might lead to that person, that family not hearing from me, take it as a good day for their loved one. If something were to go wrong, I call the families myself and under normal circumstances I regularly involve family members at the bedside during multidisciplinary rounds but we all know that there are visitation limitations now and therefore this cannot be done. This means that I have to hit the phone when I have time on patients who are on mechanical ventilation as they cannot speak for themselves. If somebody's on high flow a lot of times I'm sorry I just can't call family there's just not enough time and that patient could talk to the family, talk to their loved ones themselves on FaceTime and things like that. But on mechanical ventilation, uh, they, they can't do that. So therefore, it's my job to do that. But here's the recurring theme here. Resources are limited and I'm a limited resource. If I'm managing over 20 patients who are on mechanical ventilation and critically ill, I just may not have the time to give that family a call. I wish I can. Trust me, I I do, but I just can't. It's it's more pressing for me to use that time to save somebody's life uh, than than to, you know, be able to give that family member an update. So let's say, for example, it takes me 30 minutes to sit inside a room setting up a ventilator for a patient appropriately to save their life. I will definitely do that instead of speaking to a family. During this third wave, I could count on one hand how many times I've had the opportunity to eat during my shift. Again, that's not a complaint. That's just a fact of life. I could go without food for prolonged periods of time. But I'm just trying to say that my team and I are not sitting around watching TV, nor chit-chatting, nor in the break room uh, messing around. We're, we're actually just doing patient care to try to keep patients alive. That that being said, I know it's my responsibility to, to let families know when things are going bad. I'm going to try my best to communicate with families every day, but it's just really, really hard because when you multiply the amount of time times how many patients we have, it's just, it's just quite challenging. Thank you for understanding. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Point number 12. I ask families to designate one person as the primary information receiver. Even even if this isn't the spouse of the patient, I just can't call multiple fa- multiple family members every day. Again, it's just not feasible. Hopefully, I'll have time for them to set up a quick conference call. Uh, and some families are amazingly savvy, where they could get a bunch of people on a conference call in a couple seconds. But if there's a family member or family friend who's in medicine and could more appropriately relay the information to the rest of the family, 
um, I, I will be happy to call that person every day. But the, the reality is that I just cannot call two different people for one patient every day. Our focus is on the patient, and the more time we spend on the phone means less time on patient care. An example is that if I were to spend 15 minutes a day on each family for 20 patients, that's two and a half hours on the phone, which doesn't advance the care of the patient. It's just not feasible. I mean, I wish it was, but again, resources are limited and we're currently dealing with a pandemic that's unprecedented. Now, going back to having savvy family members, uh, number 13, where is a point where the possible best way that that you could kind of keep track of how the patient is doing on the ventilator is to keep track of the PEEP, which is spelled P-E-E-P, and the F-I-O-2. Um, what I usually state to families is that the landing zone as to when we're thinking about extubating the patient is generally speaking when the PEEP reaches 5 and the F-I-O-2 reaches 40 to 50 percent. Now, I know different institutions do things a little bit differently, but again, that's that's kind of the perspective I provide the patient's family. The one of the things I often mention, even though this is um, this is variable depending on the vent and the patient itself, especially if they're morbidly obese, is that the highest peep that a vent could do is twenty, and we know that this isn't accurate, but. To be honest, I've rarely seen somebody hit a peep of greater than 20 and actually survive. Uh, I'll go out on a limb here and say that I've seen it maybe once. Family members take a crash course in ICU management and they try to understand what's going on. They learn the vasopressors. They learn uh, how much sedation is the patient on. They're extremely intelligent folks. But providing them with quantifiable markers helps them keep track of whether things are getting better or worse. And it helps. The way that I describe PEEP is the amount of pressure it takes to pop open the lung and pop open the alveoli and the FiO2 being how much oxygen they need uh, to get into the bloodstream. And I reiterate that we're all breathing about 21% FiO2, not about, but we're all breathing 21% FiO2 for the sake of normalcy, being room air. So that that helps to some degree to put things into perspective when somebody's on, for example, 90% FiO2 and you know, 18 of PEEP or something like that. When a patient goes on mechanical ventilation, one of the things we try to do right away is go ahead and prone the patient, basically flip them on their bellies. Before reaching intubation, chances are we've been recommending this to your loved one and hopefully they've been adherent with this, even though it's challenging at times. But the reason why we do this is because it was a trial called the PROCEVA trial, P-R-O-S-E-V-A, which showed benefit in prone positioning in patients with ARDS. Now, I've had family members ask me why the patient was not prone today. Um, one may not like the answer to this, but again, I will tell the truth. It's a risk versus benefit issue sometimes. When you prone a patient, and you can look up videos on YouTube or online, you know, you run the risk of hemodynamic deterioration. It's, it is beneficial to the patients, and yes, we absolutely do it, but sometimes things get worse before they get better. All the lung that was recruited all, all of a sudden shifts. The oxygen, the oxygen saturations tend to fall before they come back up, and everybody's sphincter tightens up quite a bit while undergoing the proning process. There is a risk that the endotracheal tube can come out and the patient will potentially die almost immediately if that accident were to happen. I mean, I'm not saying it's something I've ever seen in my career, thank God, but it's it's something risky. And, and even though the nurses are 
the nurses, respiratory therapists, and everybody who is involved in putting the patient is well trained at that. Well, it's still there's still the potential for mistakes to be made, and if a mistake is made, that could threaten the life of the patient. The tension is honestly palpable whenever a patient is flipped in one direction or the other. Now, let's go over to number 15. I will do everything in my power to help the patient get through this. But I will say this, if we need to stop, I will tell the families point blank that we need to stop and let them go to heaven. Uh, my team and I were, were honestly blessed that God has given us the skill set that allows us to take care of patients and save lives. There are things, however, that take place that sadden us because we know that the patient will not be able to recover from that fall. I don't mean like a physical fall. I mean from a, from a, um, their body starts to fail to such a serious degree. We know that the patient is inevitably going to die of COVID. And when this takes place, the right thing to do, as hard as it is to say it, the right thing to do is to not do chest compressions on the patient. The reason for this is because that will cause pain and break their ribs. Um, you know, we're really good at CPR these days, and that means that sometimes we're able to perfuse, in other words, get the blood pressure sufficiently high enough to where their brain starts to work and they're able to feel uh, they're able to feel pain. And I would hate for their last uh, memory to be pain of me or somebody from my team breaking their ribs. The same thing that happens is if you were to shock a patient who were to go into a shockable rhythm, such as ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia, that that shock will also cause them pain. And it's really not going to change the fact that the patient, unfortunately, is going to die regardless of these interventions. If we are to reach that point, I ask families to at least make the patient something called the limited code. I don't know if your state or your institution has this where we will not do things that cause pain if imminent death is imminent. Not only does it pain the patient, honestly, to make them go through this, but it also pains the staff, like all of us, because we're we're the ones who feel the ribs breaking underneath our hands, and we're the ones who watch the patient's grimace if they're shocked with 200 joules of electricity. I mean, it's just it's just hard. To conclude this three this three part podcast, it's not a entertainment entertaining podcast by any means. It, this was quite hard for me to write and now to say it, simply because it it just sucks so bad that we're that we're in this this whole pandemic together. Um, really got to tip my hat to my team and everybody who takes care of critically ill COVID patients throughout the world because nobody else knows what this endeavor is like unless you're actually in it. Um, I, I really hope that this was useful. I'll, I'll try to post something more upbeat in the upcoming days or weeks whenever I have time. But uh, yeah, I, I guess that's that's just the end of this podcast. I, I really thank you all for listening through to the end and I appreciate your support. Hope you all have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye.